All right, all right, all right. If you could find your seat, we'll get rolling. And after service, you can uh, pick up that conversation again with somebody if you want. Unless they run out the door, then take that as a sign. I shouldn't say things like that, right, Adam? What am I saying? Hey, if you're watching online, we want to say a special welcome to you. Glad you're with us. We know a lot of folks will watch online before they show up here in person. So, again, if you're watching online or listening to the podcast, we hope to see you here worshiping with us on a Sunday sometime soon. Um, Let's pray. Father, thanks for today. Thanks that you're with us. I pray you would open our hearts, that you would... um, Do in us and through us um, what you desire. We give you our attention and our time this morning, Holy Spirit. Um, Not that my words would bring the change, but that you, Holy Spirit, would work through the message and through the people here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. I'm going to tell you a story that kind of is representative of little pieces of many stories. It's the story of a young woman who started just by sending me an email here at the church. She was curious about our church, asked a couple questions, and told a little bit of her story, and then a little more of her story. Um, Then she asked to meet in person, and so we sat down here and talked for a little bit. And and the story, part of what the story, um, she wanted to make sure... You know, I knew, or that we here at Hope would know, is that her story was, was messy. Um, in fact, it was messy enough that she was afraid that there were probably people in the area that knew a little bit about her story because she'd been in uh, church leadership somewhere else, had made some um, what she would call uh, bad decisions and unhealthy choices, had to then step down and step away. And it had been some time, but she knew this. She knew that in order for her to follow Jesus... She needed to find a group of Christians. She needed to reconnect at a church, and she wondered if hope might be that place for her. Would I be welcome at your church? Um, And would I be welcome, she said in so many words, if people found out about, you know, the mistakes I've made? Um, Really what she's asking is kind of a summary of what most people who come with stories similar to that and ask us on staff or ask me, they are asking this question, will I be loved, accepted, will I be embraced? Um, And so we do what we can for folks and have conversations and pray and extend the invitation and, and sometimes they show up. And sometimes they don't. This particular young lady, we're still waiting, praying that she will find a church. doesn't have to be ours, but that she will take that courageous risk. Which is part of why when you hear me say every week some version of hope is a grace-based family where anyone can find and follow Jesus, that anyone word is so important. See, we don't want to be a a church for mistake-free Christians. Um, And we don't want to be a church for only Christians or only a certain age or or racial demographic or, or only a church for, God forbid, a particular political persuasion because Jesus loves everyone. And so we want to help anyone 
find and follow Jesus. See, the, the Bible matters. Scripture matters to us here at Hope. This is not just some marketing that we're trying to do because you don't have to read much about or, or much from the Bible before you realize this core truth that people matter to God. Which people matter to God? All people matter to God. And how much do they matter to God more than we can possibly imagine? In fact, with this slide up here on the screen, let's do a little kind of old school responsive reading. We do that every once in a while. You, uh, go ahead and put that back up. Um, you guys read the first line in yellow, and then I'll read the next, and we'll go back and forth. So on your mark, get set. People matter to God. Which people matter to God? How much do they matter to God? Man, I love that you guys said it with conviction, too, because this is so true. People matter so much to God that he gave the life of his only son, Jesus. So that means, at the very least, they matter a lot. And Jesus came here on earth, spent his time on earth, making sure that this truth was clear to the folks around him. And this truth was actually life-changing for people who felt unworthy to know that everyone matters to God. See, the, the religious posture of that day sent a very clear message to outsiders or not perfect people. The message was something like, you are inferior. <laughs> you are defective. And God is therefore angry with you. But Jesus shows up, and when broken, sinful people who had felt far from God, and when those people met Jesus, what they found instead was acceptance and belonging. We've seen that over and over in the series we've been in our, uh, on the book of Luke, that Jesus really is for everyone. You know, one of the most fascinating things, I think, about Jesus is that you think about who he was. Jesus was closest to God's heart of any person who's ever lived. He even said in uh, John 10, uh, 30, he said, I and the Father are one. So that's like, you know, as close as you can get, right? To be one. And yet, yet, even though he was one with God, the people who seemed the farthest from God actually flocked to him the most. I mean, think about this. Jesus lived this perfect life. And the people who we would go, eh, they're probably farthest away from God. They're farthest away from the kind of sinless, perfect life Jesus lives. These imperfect people actually wanted to be the closest to him. I mean, you just read through the stories in Scripture and you might wonder, wait a minute, imperfect, broken, sinful people, people who looked like the ungodliest people wanted to be around the godliest person who ever lived? I mean, doesn't it just sound kind of odd? But that's the way things had become. By the time Jesus came to earth for his ministry, things had gotten so backwards that the religious leaders of his day had lost track of God's heart for broken, lost, imperfect, hurting people. See, the religious people thought that the goal of life was to be perfect and have a sinless life. Problem with that is that no one, besides Jesus, no one can live a perfect, sinless life. We all blow it. 
But the religious leaders of Jesus' day constructed this environment and had spent lots of years constructing an environment where they pretended to be perfect and judged those who weren't. Um, the religious leaders put on this religious mask, hoping that no one would see the real imperfect, broken things in their life. And you see, religion does that. Uh, religion fakes, performs, and then pressures other people. Religious uh, systems like this, it's all about who's in, who's out. It's us versus them in the name of God. But Jesus then comes, he turns all of that upside down. And if you know the story at all, do the religious elites, when Jesus turns it all upside down, do they, you know, love that Jesus does that? Yeah, no. They actually get really, really angry about it. In fact, Jesus knows that eventually they will kill him because he does this. But Jesus won't give in. He won't compromise with these religious posers because all people matter to God. In Luke 15, beautiful pictures of this truth. Um, and what happens in Luke 15 is Jesus tells three stories about three lost things. And he wants both the, you know, sinner category and he wants the religious elite judgmental folks, the Pharisees. He wants them to be real clear on God's love, God's concern, God's heart and care for imperfect people, especially lost people who feel far from God. This is truly, you guys, this Luke 15, it's one of my favorite moments in the ministry of Jesus here, and we don't have time to read the whole chapter, and I hope that you take time this week um, to read through the whole chapter on your own, but what I'll do is read the first couple verses, set the stage, and then we'll come back, and I'll just summarize the three stories that Jesus tells. So Luke 15, starting in verse 1, says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them? And Jesus told them this parable. I'll pause right there. So get the picture here. There's both groups. There's the religious dudes and the so-called sinners. And that's the context where Jesus launches into my favorite stories to preach about ever, but I won't do that today because it would take like an extra hour, and the staff was really excited that the sermon was less than 40 minutes last week, so I'm going to stay with that. So, um, But look at the passage here that we're looking at on the screen. It says the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around Jesus. Like, what a beautiful picture. Like, these people that weren't perfect and knew they weren't perfect, instead of hiding from Jesus because he's the son of God, or instead of avoiding this perfect guy named Jesus, instead they wanted to be around him. Now, just wouldn't you think that, that if you were watching this unfold, wouldn't you think that the people who claimed to actually know God, like the religious leaders, why wouldn't they see the sinners, so-called sinners, coming toward Jesus and rejoice? Like, why wouldn't they just be like, wow, I'm so excited that these people who have made such a mess of their lives, now they're interested in God. 
Well, sadly, they're not. <laughs> no surprise, they're not at all excited. And actually, this kind of picture happens over and over in the Bible. Religious people get ticked off at Jesus for showing love and acceptance to not perfect people. And if you want to tick Jesus off, you do what the religious people did. It does tick Jesus off because Jesus knew that if these religious people really understood the heart of God, when they see something like this happen, they would rejoice, not grumble, not criticize. So Jesus uses these stories here to confront the hard heart of the judgmental religious elite. And I'm going to summarize those stories. The first story, and they're all about lost things. The first story is a story about a lost sheep. Verse 4 on the screen, you'll see that that a guy has a hundred sheep, which is a lot in that culture. So the guy in the story would have been a wealthy guy, and he loses one of his sheep. Now, the religious elites, who are usually also fairly wealthy, they would have been like, you know, stupid sheep. It's a stupid sheep for wandering away. Or isn't this guy maybe overreacting a little bit? He like, big deal, he loses one stupid sheep. It's not a big deal. What's going on here, right? But Jesus points out that this owner cares about which sheep? Every sheep. So much so that he goes after the sheep. This heart of compassion and care is seen by this shepherd. Next slide on the screen. We see here that, that every sheep matters, and that he re, it says he rejoices at finding this one lost sheep. And then what Jesus does in this story, he connects the dots about God's heart, that when some one who is lost, like the tax collectors and the quote-unquote sinners, when some one who is lost gets found by God, all of heaven rejoices over them because Lost people matter to God. And then, next slide. If you're reading in your Bible, it'd be verse 8. Verse 8. Jesus tells a second story. And this one's about a woman who loses a coin. Which is interesting, like, because, like, I lose stuff all the time. Anybody else here, like... Lose their keys, kind of thing that happens. Okay, just a few of us. Um, and I'll admit, just sometimes when I lose my it's never at a good moment, right? You're always on the way somewhere when you lose your keys. And so I just get frustrated when I lose stuff, especially my keys. <clears throat> I might, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but I might even get, you know, mad at my keys when I lose them. Kind of like stupid keys, Right? I know this sounds ridiculous. This is, don't worry, I'm going to counseling. It's okay. Um, but, but, but think about this. Is it my keys' fault when they get lost? Yeah, no, right? That's the right answer. No. <laughs> no, right? Does it make sense? Does it make any sense to yell and be mad at my keys when they are lost? Oh, come on, a few more of you, right? No, exactly, right? And, and, and some people are lost or get lost, and maybe it isn't their fault. If they are lost, like the coin here in the story is lost, 
why would we get mad at them for being lost? Back to the parable. Next slide. Verse 10 says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So right here, Jesus is saying, when lost people are found, when they turn to God, the angels in heaven rejoice. It's a big deal. So Jesus has talked about a lost sheep and a lost coin. And then he tells the doozy, my favorite one, which is really hard to just summarize. Verse 11 tells the third story about a lost son. It's often known as the story of the prodigal son. It's a, it's a story, if you haven't heard it, it's a story about a son who rebels. He intentionally gets lost. He chooses to run away. He screws up big time. And some of us, by the way, we can relate, right? Or maybe some of us have kids, or we have family members or friends who have rebelled, who have walked away from God, and we read this story, and we can relate. And again, I just read these stories this week on your own. It's so good in Luke 15. But if you know this particular story about the third lost thing, the lost son, if you know this story, when lost rebels come to their senses, come back home, Does God respond by pushing them out or condemning them when they come back home? No. In fact, if you read the rest of the story, Jesus says when a rebel returns, instead of punishment, God throws a what? A party. (laughs) A party. Love this story. Um, And with all three of these stories, here's the deal. If you are someone here this morning and identify with the lost coin, or you identify with the lost sheep, or maybe you feel like the lost son, the one who took off and needs to come back home to God, if you identify with any of those lost things, I have really good news for you. God is not mad at you. God is searching for you. He wants you to come home to him. He's searching for you. I mean, getting lost, even if you're lost by, you know, somebody who chose to walk away or reject God like the younger son did. But, but, But getting lost in any instance here is not seen by God as something he wants to punish you for or yell at you about or teach you a lesson by withdrawing his love or hanging you out to dry. No, if you are lost... God is searching for you. And if you are somebody, on the other hand, who is already found, if you've already decided to follow Jesus, I've got good news for you as well. If you're found, you are on the search team. (laughs) You're on the search team. See, if you call yourself a Christian, there's really only two teams Um, There's the searchers, so Christians, that's you, searchers, and the searchees. Searchers and the searchees. In our house, uh, if something gets lost uh, in our extended family, the person that can find it and will find it is my mom. 
My mom can find just about anything. You'll have to ask Liz how that works in their household. That's a different story. I won't steal that illustration. But in our house, it's, it's my mom. She has such a great reputation for this that one of the grandsons, when he was quite a bit younger and kind of little, he looked up and said, Grandma's a real good looker, isn't she? Right? <laughs> she, you know, you could take that a couple ways. It's a compliment either way. So you have the searchers, the searchies, you have the lost and the lookers. Those are your two categories. But (laughs) religious people like the Pharisees have this idea that there's not just those two teams, there's a third team. Like, hey, yeah, we're in the, the in crowd, we're the good church people, we're the spectators, we're the watchers, we're the critics. And we decide who's acceptable or who is to be shunned. We decide who fits in around here. You actually see that a lot today still in these days where some folks are like, well, church needs to be done my way to meet my needs with a sermon length of my choice uh, for people who come and are here who are just like me. And if they don't look perfect like me, then I'm going to judge them. I'm going to shame them into shape so they get their act together and can be just as miserable as me. (laughs) It's a third team. Here's the problem with that third team sort of uh, mindset, these critics, these consumers. Jesus is not a fan of that. Not at all. In fact, in Scripture, the only people Jesus argues with or gets real confrontative with are who? Yes, the Pharisees, the, the religious elites, right? The people who judge and condemn others and separate into us against them, that's who Jesus gets sideways with, and he does it because he knows that posture pushes people away from God. And Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear that all people matter to God. All people. See, when Jesus came to earth, just he would look out and see all these people not connected to God who feel lost and feel far from God. And Jesus goes, I'm going to bring them close. And so he eats meals with, with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners because he wants to introduce them to a life with God, to this Father God who loves them and is crazy about them and wants them to just come home. Jesus just makes it over and over. He just makes it clear that God first wants people to experience his heart, his love for us. That's his first priority. Later, he will help us deal with the the broken messes or our our sinful patterns. Like That's why we say we don't fix ourselves and then come to God. We come as we are. We come to him as we are. We accept his grace. And then the beautiful thing is in time, uh, people are beginning to be transformed and to be healed. God does that, though, in his timing, not our timing. But the religious elite, they see all this acceptance and love, and they complain, right? They don't get it. They criticize Jesus. This man welcomes sinners. Why would he do that? Why? Because he couldn't not... He couldn't not, (laughs) because people matter to God. Which people matter to God? All people. All people, yes. 
All people matter to God. You and I have never seen a person who doesn't matter more to God than we can possibly imagine. You know, and I'll confess, sometimes those of us who are Christians, we're tempted to think of people, um, well, here's a group, that group I'm thinking them as sinners, and then the people that I think of as godly, um, but I think that they look a lot different to us than they look to God. God sees them through different eyes. And it's because he has a different heart. And we see this over and over again all through the scriptures, but especially with Jesus. Jesus welcomes people that no other rabbi, no other religious teacher would welcome. Roman centurions, adulterous women, lepers, prostitutes, Gentiles, cheats, and the demon-possessed. When Jesus is dying, Jesus welcomes the thief on the cross. That's his posture. That's his posture. Even on the cross. And then, after demonstrating all of that to us, after he rises from the dead, Jesus gives us, he gives his church that same mission. That's where the Great Commission comes from, Matthew 28. And it's on the screen, but I'm just going to summarize it this way. Jesus is saying, go everywhere. Go everywhere. Tell everyone about me. Invite lost people to follow me. Make disciples, he's saying, help them know how to follow me to become my disciples. And so this is the commission he gives us. If you're a Christian, you and me, we get to do what Jesus did. We get to give our lives to help lost people get found. And today, Jesus is still looking for people to join his search team. Followers of Jesus who love God so much, who have been so impacted by grace that they will do anything to help others find and follow Jesus. Again, there are only two teams. There's the searchees, and there are the searchers, and that's you, Christian. Christians, you are recruited. You're on the search team. Now, with this posture of God and our response in front of us here. I want us to look at this next slide and read this out loud. Let's do, again, the back and forth, and I'll start this one, and you guys read the yellow lines. People matter to God. Which people matter to us? How much do they matter to us? Wouldn't that be... No, let me say it this way. Won't that be something? Won't that be something when people start to see that they matter to us more than they could imagine? See, Hope family, understand, we are his church. We and our brothers and sisters in Christ are now the body of Christ on earth. We are all imperfect people who get to continue Jesus' legacy, extending his heart to invite anybody's to find and follow Jesus. See, Jesus is for everyone, right? If Jesus is for everyone, then who, who is welcome here at Hope? Everyone, including believers and unbelievers, skeptics and mockers, Republicans and Democrats, 
Young people and old people. People in suits and people in jeans or shorts. People with wrinkled skin and people with tattooed skin. People of every color skin. People of every language. People who look respectable and people who look like they might be shady or who are addicted or messed up. Straight people are welcome and gay people and transgender people. Buddhists are welcome, Muslims are welcome, Hindu, Jewish, Jewish, humanists, I don't know what I believe people are welcome here at Hope. Single people, married people, and divorced people are welcome here at Hope. And every messy, imperfect person who's honest enough to know that life is messy, which is the reason we all need God. So since Jesus is for everyone, then anyone is welcome here at Hope. And again, this is not some marketing idea. This is us looking at Scripture and seeing the heart of Jesus, friends. And if you've been a part of Hope, uh, part of this Hope family for any length of time, you know that this is actually the core of who we are around here. I mean, I'm telling you, this church family... Uh, is amazing at loving and accepting anyone who comes through our doors. I've watched this since I showed up to visit. This is not something that Heidi and I like brought. This is something that's been here. And I know we don't always do it perfectly. Sometimes people are disappointed and we don't do it as well as we wish we could have. But most of the time, most of the time, uh, Hope Family, we all together, you do this really well. Yeah, we do. Yes. Right. You guys have learned and are learning to extend love and grace and welcome to people around us. You're really good at noticing new folks and making them feel welcome. Again, we don't always do it perfectly. Sometimes they have to visit like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, especially during COVID, but, right? We're really good. You guys are really good at that, which is not always the case when somebody takes a risk. Can you imagine how scary it is to try a new church? It's not an easy thing to do. But you guys, like, part of the deal here with with who we are is that the presence of Jesus is so strong and the love of God is palpable. Like, people can sense it just because of the folks in the room and the presence of God here. A few weeks ago, uh, somebody who had been out of town for the summer had to come back and attend a friend's funeral. And he said that walking in the doors here at Hope was like a breath of fresh air. He said, even in the heat we had, he was like, oh, I needed this. I didn't know how much I need. I needed this. Um, He said he could just feel the love of Jesus through the people of hope right when he came in the doors. That's not an uncommon story. That happens a lot because um, it's in our DNA, friends. Hope is a grace-based family. Hope is a family um, because family is supposed to be a place where imperfect people find belonging. Hope is a place of amazing grace. See, this is a place where God keeps showing up. It's a place where lives change. And it's been that way for over two decades. I mean, little church history part here that I was going to cut. And I'm like, I think we need to know this if you don't know this. Like, think about our history as a church Pastor Dwayne Cross came to Hope in the early 2000s, and he tells his story all the time where he had come here, but he had just finished taking three years off from being a pastor so he could get free of a gambling addiction that he got honest about. And so he was in his 50s when he came here and got a second chance. 
And listen, I know this from being in church ministry for a long time. Most churches wouldn't take that risk. It feels risky to have an imperfect pastor who admitted his failures and then had taken time out of being a pastor in order to heal and recover, but Hope took that chance. The little group of people that was here knew that God is a God of second chances. And when we repent, do the hard work of recovery like Dwayne did, God makes people who had been disqualified, he makes them qualified. And that's where that no perfect people statement um, took root. I don't know if it was here before that, but I tell you what, it took root and became real under Pastor Dwayne's leadership. And for about 15 years, that's where our church grew and thrived. And we went through some years after that of transition. Um, Pastor Paul came to be pastor here at Hope, but within a year or so, he got sick um, in 2017. And we lost him far too soon, March 14th of 2018. And when things like that happen, um, most churches, what they do, go to the denomination, they find a good, safe, experienced, seasoned pastor to jump in and go forward. And I hope that I'm all of those things, but I'm still learning, usually the hard way. Um, But both hope and our denominational leaders, um, instead of doing the normal kind of safe route, they decided to take a chance again. This time taking a chance on a pastor who had spent seven years out of church leadership in order to heal after going through a divorce. And in case you're brand new here, um, that's me, that's my story. But again, when we repent, we do the hard work of recovery. God, God's grace takes people who thought they were disqualified and he makes them qualified, even an imperfect pastor who's been divorced. Let me tell you what that says about our church. That's not normal. (laughs) It's not normal. But with a church that has no perfect people on our sign by the street, it actually works because there's no perfect people, no perfect pastors, no perfect anybodies. Like this is our DNA, friends. Hope is a grace-based family, a place where not perfect people belong and a place where we are genuine, we are honest about that reality. And you know what happens when we get real about that? Amazing grace shows up. Amazing grace. Where we now can offer hope to other not perfect people. So worship team comes. I want to ask these questions one more time. You guys can help me out with a response here. So, which people matter to God? And who is welcome at hope? See, in this season, you guys, of our church's family life, I want us to start, each one of us, to start getting real serious about what this means and get, get, make this personal. Like, how will each of us offer the amazing grace we have received, how do we offer that to everyone around us? Where we each decide to join the search team where we're going to start looking for lost coins, lost sheep, lost sons and daughters by loving others, by inviting them back into the love to the grace of Jesus. See, see, Hope, God is calling us to follow him in this new season where he's on the move. God is moving. He is at work amongst us, and he's at work through you and through me. And he wants to have us invite any and everyone into his family. And that's not something we can just do as an 
organization or a staff, we can't fully do it without you. So, are you in? Are you in? And how will you be intentional about joining the search team, looking for lost sheep or lost sons and lost daughters? Maybe for you, you get on the search team by serving in local outreach. You can hear more about that in our, later in our series. Or maybe you join the search team by serving in Alpha. Maybe you take that card that was handed out to you and you, you put three names on there. That's a part of your search team. Maybe you get involved in discipling our children or our youth. And it occurs to me we could make a long list of ways to join the search team that could actually be overwhelming. And some of you, I think, maybe even look at that card with the three names and you go, I don't know three names. And maybe you won't do it because you can't get to three. Okay, well, let's make this all really practical. Just pick one. Join the search team by just picking one. Just one lost, you're going to go find one lost coin, one lost sheep, one lost kid. Just pick one. One person, one name. Again, are you in? And how will you be intentional about joining the search team looking for just one? One lost son or daughter who matters to God. I would encourage you even right now to write that name down. Either on that prayer card or on your hand or put it in your phone, text it to yourself, whatever. Just write down the name. Who is your one? Who is your one? And right away, some of you know, God, God wants me on this person's search team, right? But some of you might take a moment here, if no one's coming immediately to mind, as we sing this closing song, just listen for who the Spirit might put on your heart. The person whose search team God wants you on, who is, who's that one for you? Jesus, we give you our attention. Spirit, would you speak to us about how you want us to partner with you? We thank you for your love and your grace. Would you open our hearts to everyone around us? May you remind us of your love for them and then help us show your love to them.